Good morning. I'm going to ask you and invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is another one of the letters written by Paul that has found its way into our New Testament. It is a letter written to the believers at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a major city in the Roman Empire. It was the capital of the province of Asia. It was also at the center of a number of important trade routes, so it was an important city from an economic standpoint. It was also well known for a temple that was built there to the goddess Diana. Uh, It was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was a very pagan city. But Paul, along with some of his fellow missionaries, visited Ephesus uh, on his second missionary journey. He was there only a brief time, but he left behind some of his associates to minister to the people there. And Paul returned on his third missionary journey and actually spent three years in the city of Ephesus teaching the new believers there the truth of God. And you can read all about it in Acts chapter 18 and 19 if you'd like sometime. But as was his practice, after Paul left Ephesus, he wrote them a letter reminding them of some of the truth that they'd learned under his teaching. And so Paul opens the book of Ephesians talking about salvation. And it is one of the most significant, one of the most stunning passages about salvation. It's stunning because it runs contrary to what I think so many of us believe about salvation. And it's significant because it shows us that at the heart of our salvation is the glory of God. Open your Bibles, or they're already open. Look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And now what he's going to do in the the remainder of the, the passage that we're going to read is he's going to detail what are those blessings that we have in Christ. So beginning in verse 4, he starts. For he chose us in him, meaning in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely has given us in the one he loves. In him... That is, in Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked within him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you for this this wonderful passage that the Apostle Paul has given us. Open our eyes and our ears to hear what you have for us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last weekend, not this past weekend, yesterday, but a week ago, Lynn and I temporarily lost our minds. 
we got another dog. Now, we already have one. I've told you about Kirk. He's our 60-pound, well, now 65 pounds, and he's going a little diet, but he's our, he's our large Labrador mix. Well, now we have Nikki, a nine-pound Chihuahua mix. And I tried to get Linda to be the softy and be the one that, that kind of gave the okay and said yes to this, and she would not do it, so it, it fell on me. I had to be the one that, that was the sucker and said yes to a new dog. And so here's what we did. We could go Saturday. We went around to a couple of different places that adopt pets. You know, you can go and you can find all these places that they have pets that you can, you know, rescue places and all this. And, and the last place we went was Petco, which on Saturday has cats and dogs and stuff that you can adopt. And we walked around Petco and we looked at various dogs and, and we talked to them and we petted them and we even got some of them out of their little cages and kennels and played with them. And at the end of the day, we chose a dog that appealed to us in some way. And every one of you that's ever looked for a, a pet like this, a domestic pet, has done the same thing. You look for an animal, if you're looking for a dog, you look for a dog that has some qualities that appeal to you. Whatever that might be, good-natured, cute, well-behaved, good with other pets, good with children, whatever it is. Now, they're not perfect, you know that, right? You might have a list of, of if, if I had the perfect pet, this is what it looked like, but you know you're not going to get that. But you choose a pet that has some value to you in some way. Let's be honest, any day of the week, we would choose this pet. Let's put up that first picture. Oh, yes, we would choose this one any day of the week over this one. <laughs> All right, thank you. Am I right? Am I right? Why? Because the first one appeals to us. There's something about that cute little puppy that appeals to us. Now, here's why I mention this. I think we sometimes view our own salvation the same way. As if God looks at us and He sees something desirable in us, something special, something worthwhile that causes Him to save us. Oh, we know we're not perfect. You know, we've got this thing in our life we've got to work on and this habit and this shortcoming and all that. But, but surely God sees something in us. Surely He at least sees some potential in us in order for Him to, for him to adopt us as His children. And very gradually we begin to think about our salvation as something that has to do primarily with us. But it doesn't. Last week we began a series entitled The Glory of God. And when we talk about the glory of God, what we're talking about is the excellence and the perfection of His divine nature. And what we saw last week is that the glory of God is everything. It's everything. It's at the heart of everything we do in life. Last week we said that the glory of God is at the heart of our obedience to God. In other words, we obey God because it brings glory to Him. It recognizes and values His glory. Next week we're going to see that the glory of God is at the heart of our worship. But what I want you to see this morning is that the glory of God is at the heart of our salvation. You see, salvation is not primarily about you and what happens to you. Salvation is primarily about God and His glory. Four times in this passage, Paul indicates that the praise of God's glory is the reason for our salvation. Look in verse 1. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And what are those spiritual blessings? They all have to do with salvation. 
Verse 6, He predestined us and He adopted us, what? To the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, those who are saved are for the praise of His glory. Verse 13, those who are sealed by the Spirit are to the praise of His glory. Now, we're egocentric enough in our fallen nature, we're selfish enough in our sinful condition to have a problem with this at times. Right? We think our salvation is an end in itself, that God saved us for the sake of saving us. But it is not an end in itself, it is a means to an end. And the end is all about God and bringing Him glory. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want us to take a few minutes and look at how your salvation and my salvation brings glory to God. And here's the first thing that Paul will show us. You were chosen for God's glory. You were chosen for God's glory. Do you know, or did you know, that the process of your salvation began before the creation of the world? You might think, well, no, no, it began when I put my faith in Christ. Or, or maybe the, the months before that, or the, the, the years before that, as God began to work in my heart and convict me of my sin, that, that's when it began. No, that's not what Paul says. It says he, he chose us in Christ. Now, what does that mean in Christ? It means that, that the means to be saved are, are the death and resurrection of Christ. We are saved in Christ by His death and resurrection. He chose us in Christ, look, before the creation of the world. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ. Now, there are two very important words we need to understand in those opening verses, if we're going to understand what Paul is saying. The first word is chose. This is a, a Greek a compound word. In the Greek, it means literally called out one. So to be chosen is to be called out, is to be selected out of a group. The other word is predestined. That word is a compound word as well in Greek. Proorizo. Pro means before, like a prologue in a book. Pro means before. Horizo means to determine. So predestined means to be something is determined or decreed beforehand. Now what does this all mean when you put all that together? It means that our salvation is rooted in God's predetermined plan to choose those who are to be saved. You are selected. You are chosen by God's predetermined plan. Or to say it another way, God chose us before we chose Him. Now, lest you think this is an unusual passage, that somehow you're going, wait, 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 wait. That doesn't really fit the flow of what I know from the rest of the Bible. It's not. This concept of God's divine election is all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. We see it most clearly. It's in other places, but we see it most clearly in God's choosing Israel to be His special nation. Why? Because they were special? Because there was something about them that was desirable? No, because God in His sovereign choice chose Israel. And we see it in the New Testament as well, all throughout when it comes to our salvation. For example... In the book of Acts, Paul is traveling all over the known world at the time telling people about Jesus. And in, uh, in Acts chapter 13, he comes to a city called Pisidian Antioch. And there he is preaching to the Gentiles. He's telling them what Christ has done for them. And then Luke records this in Acts 13.48. It's in your notes. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. All who are appointed for eternal life believe. Now, there are a number of other passages, and you see them there in your notes. If you want to check these out on your, yourself, you can read these passages and see what they say about God's sovereign election. But let's be honest here. These kind of passages surprise many of us, don't they? When we read something like that, well, wait, 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 God, God chose me? 
God appointed people to eternal life. What? Why, why does that surprise us? Because from our perspective, what do we see? We chose God. That's our perspective. It, we were presented somewhere along the way with the truth of the gospel, right? In church, maybe reading the Bible, maybe so maybe a friend or a family member showed you what the Bible had to say about your sin and God's salvation. We were presented the truth of the gospel. We heard it. We believed it. We put our trust in Christ. We chose God. That's our story. Because that's what we've experienced. And let me tell you something. That is a true story. That is what happened to you and me. If you've put your trust in Christ, that's what happened. You heard the truth. You, you said, yes, I need this. You believed it. You received Jesus. It's a true story. It's just not a complete story. You see, what's missing from all of that is God's bigger story. And that's what Paul gives us here. It's as if God, Paul rather pulls back the curtains of heaven. And he allows us to see our salvation, not only from our perspective, not only from our experience and our story, but to see it from God's perspective as well. Yes, we chose God because He chose us and drew us to faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in John 6.44, look in your notes again, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise them up at the last day. Now what criteria did God use in choosing those who would be saved? Well, look in, in your, your passage, look at verse 5. It says he did it in accordance with his pleasure and will. In verse 11, it tells us that he works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, it's according to God's pleasure and it's according to God's purpose. But here's the problem. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So there are, there are aspects of his pleasure, there are aspects of his will that we just don't no. But notice what's missing from that equation. It says He chose us according to His pleasure. He chose us according to His will. What's missing from that? There's no mention of our worthiness to be chosen or to be saved, is there? None. You know, when we went looking for a dog a week ago, uh, we, uh, we were definitely more interested in the dogs that seemed to be interested in us. You know? I mean, the, the, when we went up to a cage, if a dog was wagging his tail... You know, and if he came over so that we could pet him and kind of interact with him, and he was, oh, people, 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 you know. Those dogs are definitely more likely to be chosen than the ones that just ignored us, whatever, or the ones that were hostile toward us and barked at us. Yes, we chose, but we chose based on how they responded to us. And I think a lot of believers view this idea of God's election in the same way. That God looked into the future. You know, God's not limited by space and time, right? So God looked into the future and He saw those who would someday respond to Him in a positive way and He chose them. But that's not what it says, is it? It says He chose us according to His purpose, His pleasure, and His will. It doesn't say He chose us according to how we would choose Him one day. In fact, look at with me. You're in Ephesians chapter 1. Flip over to chapter 2 and verse 4 for just a moment. What, what, is, what does Paul say there? Chapter 2, verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Did you see that? He chose us when we were dead, spiritually dead. 
That means we have no capability as spiritually dead people to respond to God in any way. This would be like me going to a, an adoption place and walking down and looking at the, all these dogs in their cages. And I come to a cage where there is a dead dog. And I say, I want that one. I choose that one. There is nothing in that dog that has any capability of responding to me in any way because he is dead. And look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3. This is in your notes. There is no one righteous. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. We cannot choose God. Listen. Apart from God doing a work in me, not only am I not worthy to be saved, but I do not have the capability within me to respond to Him and choose Him in any positive way. Oh, listen, I can choose religion as a dead person, spiritually. I can choose good works. All of those are consistent with deadness. I wonder how many people are in the church who are spiritually dead, but they're doing the religious thing, like the Pharisees. You know, they got their checklist of good works, trying to be good enough. Listen, I can choose a lot of things being dead, but I cannot choose God, ultimately. I cannot choose God. It takes God actively working in my heart to bring me to faith in Christ. But isn't that unfair, you might ask? Isn't it unfair that some people are chosen and some people are not? Well, yeah, in a sense that's true. Fairness would be everybody experiencing eternal punishment because of their sin. Fairness would be God letting everyone receive the consequences of their rebellion. Fairness would be God leaving us in our state of spiritual death. But God doesn't deal in fairness. He deals in grace. Let me say that again. God doesn't deal in fairness. He deals in something much better. Thankfully, He deals in grace. Listen, was it fair that Jesus died on the cross? This perfect God-man nailed to the cross by sinners for sinners? Is that fair? No. But it is gracious. You see, the question isn't, why does God let some people go to hell? That, that's not the question. That's the wrong question. The question is, why doesn't God let everybody go to hell? Because He would be perfectly, absolutely justified in doing so. And the answer is because He is a gracious God. And in His grace, He has reached down and He has rescued some. And that's the point. Look at verse 6. This is all to the praise of His glorious grace that He has freely given us in the one He loves. You see, that shifts our whole focus in salvation, doesn't it? It shifts us away from us and, and what worthiness we might feel we have to be saved. And it shifts it to God and His glory. Now listen, we can, we can get caught up in trying to answer questions that we cannot answer. Like, why does God choose some and not others? We, we can spend all day trying to answer questions that we just cannot answer. Or we can see this for what it is, an amazing display of God's glorious nature, extending His grace to people who have no right to His eternal blessing. And when we see it that way, we see salvation for what it is, that it's all about the glory of God. 
Here's the second way our salvation brings glory to God. Not only were you chosen for His glory, but number two, you were redeemed for God's glory. You were redeemed for God's glory. Look again at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. To be redeemed means to be purchased from bondage by the payment of a price. It brings to mind the, the, the slave markets in this ancient culture in which Paul lived. And if, if you wanted to, to go to a, a slave market and you wanted to set a prisoner or a slave free, you had to pay the necessary ransom to do so. Well, the, the price that was paid for you, and, for you and I to be set free from sin's bondage was the blood of Jesus Christ. And when He died, He paid it in full. The movie Hildago, Hildago, Hidalgo, I can say it, is a story of a man named Frank Hopkins who is seeking to find redemption in his own life from a painful past as the mixed-race son of a Calvary scout and an Indian chief's daughter. At the beginning of the movie, Hopkins learns that the government is rounding up wild horses that are used by the Indians and they're going to shoot them. And the price for purchasing these horses are just out of the reach of the Indians. They, they can't possibly come up with the money to pay for these horses to be redeemed. So Hopkins enters a 3,000-mile race across the Arabian desert, uh, competing against great Arabian horses with his little Mustang, Hidalgo. After winning the race, he returns to the United States with the prize money, which is $100,000. The final scene of this movie pictures the men, the cavalry men, preparing to shoot the horses. They're all in a corral, and they're getting ready to shoot them. But I want you to watch what happens next. Assemble on the rim. 30 paces to a stand. Make every shot count. What's this book doing? Bringing them in one at a time? Lieutenant McNulty? Who are you? Hopkins. Frank Hopkins. Hopkins? You bring a dispatch? Yes, sir. Paid in full?
paid in full. What a great picture of our own redemption. Like those horses, we have no capability of purchasing our own freedom. We were helpless. We were marked for death. But God, because of His love for us, paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be set free. Here's here's what I want you to see here. God didn't choose us for salvation so that we could work really, really hard to maybe obtain it someday. That's not what happened. God did everything that was necessary through the blood of Jesus Christ for us to be saved. He took care of it all. I understand that at the University of Florida, parking spaces are at a premium. There are more people with cars than there are parking spaces. And so I understand that only select people are able to get and purchase a, 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 a parking permit. But having a parking permit doesn't guarantee you a parking spot, does it? It just gives you the ability to drive around campus looking for one, but it doesn't guarantee that you're going to actually have one or that you're going to find one. Oh, listen, that is not the story of our salvation. God didn't choose us to leave us on our own to fend for ourselves. He provided the full payment for your redemption. There is nothing left for you to do except receive what He has paid for in full. He not only paid for your parking permit, but He has reserved a spot for you as well. And what is the upshot of all of this? Look at verse 12. God did all of this in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, I mean to put our faith in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. God chose you and He paid the price for your redemption so that you might see Him for the glorious God that He is. Finally, I want you to see that, number three, you were sealed for God's glory. You were chosen for God's glory, you were redeemed for God's glory, and you were sealed for God's glory. Look with me again back at verse 13 in chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. By the way, just as a side note, do you notice here how all three members of the Godhead are involved in your salvation? God chose you, the Son redeemed you by His blood, and the Holy Spirit sealed you. Now what does it mean to be sealed? When Paul uses this term, he's referring to an official mark of identification that was put on a letter or a document. And so the document belonged to or was under the authority of whoever's stamp was on that seal. So when God put His Holy Spirit in you, when you put your faith in Christ, He put His Holy Spirit in you. When He he did that, He was putting His mark of ownership on you. That's why in verse 14 He talks about those who are God's possession. Because we are marked with His Holy Spirit. But Paul uses another word here. He says that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee is from a Greek word that in that culture sometimes was used to refer to an engagement ring. It's the word arabon, and it would refer to an engagement ring. Now think about this word picture for a minute. When a couple gets engaged, they enter into a new kind of relationship, don't they? 
It's an exclusive relationship of promise to one another. More so in the ancient culture than in our culture. It was a stronger tie then. But they enter into a, a, a new and unique kind of relationship, an exclusive relationship with one another. But that engagement ring signifies that there is something more to come. That that relationship that they've entered into, as special as it is, exclusive as it is, there is still something more to come. And so when the Holy Spirit, put, when God puts a Holy Spirit in us, we're not only under God's ownership and authority, but it's a reminder that what we experience in this life, the salvation that we experience in this life, forgiveness of sins, adoption as His sons and daughters, is the beginning of our salvation, that there is more to come. He says we are, we're going to receive an inheritance Peter in 1 Peter talks about the inheritance that's waiting for us in heaven. We talked about this in our Wednesday night Bible study a couple weeks ago. What is it that's waiting for us in heaven? Well, for one thing, we're going to get rid of these mortal bodies that are subject to sin and death and pain. And amen? Yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. We're going to get rid of, of the presence of sin and struggling with temptation. Amen? That's a good thing. We're going to be directly in the presence of God. The Bible says we see Him now as through a mirror darkly, like through a foggy glass, through His revelation and His Word. But listen, one day we're going to see Him face to face, directly in His presence. Amen? That's the inheritance that we have waiting for us. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that we will receive what God has promised in full. And that's why He says in Romans chapter 8, look in your notes, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? There's that word again, you see it? It is God who justifies. In other words, it is God who saves us. It is God who makes us right with him. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died... More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. In other words, he's standing before God on our behalf. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I'm convinced nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit and that guarantees our inheritance. But notice who is sealed. Look again. Look at verse 12. Who is sealed? Verse 12. Those who put their hope in Christ. Look at verse 13. Those who heard the message of truth and believed. You see, when Paul says that God chose us and He predestined us for salvation, that in no way alleviates our responsibility to respond to Christ in faith. See, you can't say, oh, you know, either I'm in or I'm out. Right? What difference does it make what I do? Either God chose me or He didn't choose me. So I, I really, what I do really makes little difference at all. No, no, no. The Bible doesn't let us go there. The Bible never uses that kind of logic. It doesn't let us go there. In fact, the Bible says that not only must we respond in faith. I mean, look at those verses. It said those who put their hope in Christ, those who believed were sealed in the Holy Spirit. Not only must we respond in faith, but we must also tell others about Jesus, so that they are able to respond in faith to Him. Only those who hear the truth and believe are redeemed and sealed. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on. How then can they call on the one that they have not heard, believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them or someone telling them? See, here's how it works. 
Before the creation of the world, God chose us. And then at some point along the way in our journey, we hear the message of truth about Jesus Christ. And by God's sovereign grace, that truth finds its way into our heart and mind and draws us to repentance and faith. And we believe in God and He saves us and seals us with His Holy Spirit. And what is the point of all of this? What is the point of God sealing us and guaranteeing us the inheritance of our salvation? Look at the very end of verse 14. He gives us this guarantee to the praise of His glory. Do you see it? Do you see it throughout this passage? It's all about God demonstrating the excellence and the perfection of His divine nature through salvation. He didn't see anything special in us. Let me tell you what God saw in us when He looked at us through eternity. He saw something dead and rotten and filthy. And He chose us anyway. He redeemed us and He sealed us. And the only right response is for us to praise His glory.